0: Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here as always with Nick Houston, Houston. Houston, Houston, Nick Houston. Nick, it's good to see you today. We have a uh, special guest with us today, the Reverend Jeff Rogers. Ooh. Jeff, how are you doing today?
1: I'm I'm flattered with you putting my real title before my name there. How are you now? Well, of course. Feels feels good. Good to be here on Dialogic Disciple. It's an honor to be the second choice of the day.
0: Well, of course. We have always had you on the back burner ready to go because we knew that you were that kind of guy. You're all-time backup. All-time backup. I love it.
1: That's the role of an associate pastor, you know.
0: So, Jeff, uh, you are the associate minister here at Northside Church, um, and you've been here for three years, two, two years? Two years now, Two yeah. years now, okay. Tell us a little bit about um, why you got into ministry and how you got to Northside. I mean, we don't know anything about you, man.
2: <laughs> He's a mystery.
0: <laughs> Fe- feels good. Let's open the mystery box and get to know <laughs> Jeff Rogers. Yeah, just Do you fill know in. how
2: badly I want to sing Sarah McLaughlin's Building a Mystery right now? <laughs>
0: Building you mystery. can do that. That's the freedom that
1: we have on this podcast. Just some
2: copyright that. restrictions we would oh, have to no. deal with. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. As long
1: as it's less than what thirty seconds, right?
0: I, I, I don't. That's not true anymore. I, I, think, I think somebody made that up. At unless one point. you're unless you're using it for something <laughs> that's uh, educational, you're not allowed to use it at all.
1: This is educational. Well, yeah, I think it's could edifying.
0: That. Certainly, uh, in a court, we could spin that.
1: There, there you go. grow as disciples of Jesus Christ.
0: That's right. So, so,
1: yeah, I grew up in Lawrenceville. So Gwinnett County, always been in Georgia uh, in and around the metro Atlanta area and went to a Methodist church in Lawrenceville. But quite frankly, like, you know, I went because mom and dad said, we're going to church. Did the church thing, but was in that children's ministry Sunday school. Did, did not like it. It was not for me. You had to dress up. You had to do coloring sheets. I was not about the coloring sheet life. So didn't didn't really go much. Uh and then uh you have to do this thing called confirmation in the Methodist church. And my parents oh, you were have like
0: to or is I thought that was voluntary.
1: Well, it depends on whose house you live in. Oh,
0: okay. That, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: And <laughs> my house, uh, you had to do confirmation when we were in sixth grade. That's the the Lawrenceville Methodist way. So and the <laughs> way Jesus the way. did it perhaps.
0: <laughs> Nice. of course that's the way jesus did this it. is the
1: way this so the way. we would do uh confirmation to sixth grade and when i'd finally finished that i was like all right peace i'm out which is the exact opposite purpose of confirmation
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so did confirmation uh You know, as a middle schooler, was not into the church thing, and just went about my life doing whatever I want. Then went on a retreat later on in middle school, and it was on this uh, retreat we call it the spring break retreat, and uh, we'd be at Laguna Beach where I had uh, that moment where Jesus became real in my life. That's kind of how I describe it. And so, uh, how old were you? That was probably eighth grade ish. Um, So as as real. As your faith can be yeah. as a, uh, what is that, 14-year-old or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so then going into high school, I did a camp meeting with my church, which was just for an, the youth group. It was just fun events all day, every day. You're going to Six Flags. You're going to Whitewater. Whatever it is during the day, it's fun. And then go back to the campgrounds that we had, and it would be old school revival services. You know, I mean, the stuff that Matt Jackson probably grew up on. Oh, yeah, uh, definitely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. The open air worship mm-hmm. stuff. Nobody's leaving here until somebody walks down oh, front. That's right. You I know re- it. I
1: remember you those days. I remember those days. Good days, good days. So it was, it was by going to those events that I found the community of the church. Okay. And just as kind of like a wandering middle schooler, I didn't have a community or whatever because who does? But when I found my home in the church – And then went into those formative years of high school. um, Everything kind of clicked together in one, uh, you know, moment, one place and one purpose. And I mean, we talk about that all the time in the church, the importance of community, the importance of fellowship and the role that the church plays in that. And it really did that in my life. And I just found myself thinking, I love being at the church I love going to the studies, I love the people, I love the service, and I want to be able to provide this for other people. And I thought that early on in high school and just kind of never looked back, wound up going through college and navigating different aspects of ministry.
0: So you Here went to college with, with the knowledge that you were going to be a minister or at least some way involved in the well,
1: church. Well, I mean, like anybody that loves youth group, I was like, oh, it's going to be youth ministry.
0: <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But And then you did youth ministry and uh, was like, it's
1: not youth ministry. The Lord has ministry. called me to
0: another field.
1: Thank goodness. <laughs> um, youth ministry, amazing, amazing work. I, you know, I loved it because people uh, are really open at that age, really exploring, willing to ask tough questions, um, and explore their faith in a unique way. It
0: is. Yeah, it is true. Uh, Very inquisitive, very much like getting to know them. They're getting to know themselves and, and starting to open up to the possibility that, that they are not the only thing in the world, which is something that happens late in high school, I think, and, and into college, um, where you begin to, you begin to realize, oh, there are other ideas than just what my parents or my friends have.
1: Yeah. And I transitioned after uh, like college, my first few years of seminary, I started work at uh, Chambly first where I was an associate pastor over there. And that was my first time that I went from working with uh, either youth age kids or young adult age folks and was in just a congregation with every age demographic. And I was a little bit worried about it, but I found, I mean, I love church people, any, any age, any stage of life uh, just feels like home.
0: So when you, um, did you, I guess, question that we haven't asked anybody yet, I don't think Uh is, um, was there a particular moment that you felt like you were called like into ministry that you felt like this, the voice of God or the hand of God leading you in a direction that was like the church is where I'm going to, where I'm going to serve, where I'm going to be, you know, does that make sense?
1: Yeah. I'm tracking it with you. So I like, I like the imagery of two different roads, right? Some folks have the Damascus road experience. Yeah. yeah. You know that one. Uh, But other folks have the Emmaus road experience at the end of Luke where Jesus is walking along with the dude and, after the breaking of bread they're like oh Uh oh it's jesus uh, wasn't our heart burning (laughs) within us oh that was yeah that was jesus and so i have these moments looking back on my life and one of them was on a wednesday night we did a a program in my youth group and we called it prayer share some clever youth pastor came up with prayer share
0: you gotta like when they rhyme
1: so so we'd go to folks houses and just have a lesson i guess but this one particular night, I remember going up to my youth pastor and saying, I really do feel this call into ministry, but I don't, I don't know about it. Like, I don't know if it's for me, if I would be good enough, if what it looks like, any of the things. And I'll never forget that he pointed me to the story of Moses and how Moses had plenty of shortcomings himself, uh, even to the point that he needed his brother Aaron to help uh, supplement his yeah. skill set yeah, so good. to speak and that story of moses that memory of me sitting down with alan and just talking about what ministry could be is one of those moments that i look back on the other moment that i think of now that you got me talking yeah go for it was uh you know that spring break trip uh i'm gonna come back to it because uh, like like any good youth group on a retreat we had testimonies And so when I was probably a junior or a senior, my pastor asked me to share my own experience. And so that was one of my first times proclaiming the gospel, telling my story to a group of folks and having that experience. uh, Seeing the feedback, getting the feeling, all, all the things I was like, oh, this this feels right.
0: Yeah. Okay. that's great so you had you had a moment of almost like a secondary confirmation like they when you're when you're giving your testimony and you f- you can feel that what you're doing is what God has called you to do Ooh. it's almost as if um it's in the act of doing it that you were confirmed that like your call was confirmed so to speak, there you yeah right? I like it yeah yeah uh, that's definitely kind of the feeling I had I felt like I was called into ministry when I was twelve years old so my entire my entire life after that was directed toward you know um Working in the church, serving the church, uh, but it wasn't until much later that I really felt the confirmation of that call mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. in the works itself. Mm-hmm. Nick, have you been called into ministry yet? Has the Lord come down upon you and and invited you to join join the service uh, as a minister more so than you are now. <laughs> As our executive director, my guess is that you already feel like you serve quite a bit.
2: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and let you know I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel called. That's awesome. Yeah, um, that's good. There's definitely a role in the church um, and a calling, I think, for what I do, and just like there is for what you do and what Jeff does. Um, and I, I do think it's a a unique place that fits the way that I was gifted yeah, by God, and then by the Holy Spirit.
0: I think that that's a lot. I think that's something that a lot of uh, maybe our laity and people who who are just people who come to our church they don't maybe they don't hear this enough or maybe they don't understand that we all have a call to serve the church in one way or another. Jeff, one of the gifts that you have uh, I've noticed is preaching you are yes i have enjoyed your sermons uh they're well put together and you speak them with confidence and charm and i think that's amazing uh tell me a little bit about your uh your preaching um like just talk to me a little bit about how you put a sermon together and what does you think about when you when you're writing a sermon
1: a lot goes into writing a sermon you know it's interesting uh sometimes they just come together really quickly sometimes they take a little bit more time uh, and it's evolved a lot over the years uh, because since that that testimony i gave in high school it's uh, it's preaching has taken a lot of different forms
0: yeah so yeah. to
1: speak so uh, had plenty of different opportunities one thing that jumps out right when you ask the question is the fact that I've noticed that where you are preaching and who you are preaching to, the context of the sermon plays a huge role. That it's not something you can simply pick up and take from one place to the next. Absolutely. I'll look back at old sermons and one be like, whoa, what what was that about? But uh, I trust that the Holy Spirit was at work in the crafting and the speaking and the, uh, the work of that. Two of the things that come to mind— Really early on in ministry, I read read a book called "Communicating for a Change." Okay, Andy Stein, Stanley. Andy Stanley. Yeah, thank All goodness right. for Andy Stanley. The local boy. Um, but just a very clear writer and thinker and expresser. And
0: was that book particularly about specifically about uh, preaching?
1: It was. Okay. It was. And so he. Uh, his thing is it just needs to be very simple very clear and he has a seven step process mm-hmm. for for getting that sermon <laughs> cranked out
0: does it all start with like the same letter and everything it's like, uh oh one, man except his, number two seven steps feels like too many
1: his outline <laughs> it's, like, it's the maximum
2: it's number biblical. of steps you can remember <laughs>
0: I <don't know>. eight <laughs> steps right out <laughs> well there's ten commandments so we're in trouble then aren't we <laughs> you okay. can only remember eight commandments at look a time. around bro people <laughs> are definitely leaving out a few <laughs> yeah. if we were hitting 80 percent, then yeah well, yeah that would be good That world
1: would, be good. <laughs> would be a different place but the other the other outline i that was kind of formative for me was uh, for my preaching professor tom long at emory and his if i were to boil down his book uh probably unfairly it's study the scripture a lot and your message will come up from that
0: yeah you should be able to say it
1: in one sentence it should have a focus and a function
0: i had uh uh, tom long once for a week-long class but he was impressive Uh, and his just knowledge of how to communicate a message is uh is amazing
1: well and the other thing about tom long what really impressed me was not only his communication skills But his knowledge of Scripture and how to apply it was really greater than his ability to communicate, in in my opinion. And that was why he was such a good preacher, because he was passionate about how the Bible should be read.
0: And that makes sense of his uh, advice to you then, right? Just keep reading the Scripture, and eventually the message will come out.
1: So I've, you know— kind of started with those two things in my back pocket one a really practical way to express it and two kind of a study background
2: yeah i'm coming at this from an angle of you know there's lots of giftings and different pastors find their call in different roles like so i think we have the assumption that you've got to be a preacher and you may very well just want to be a preacher i don't know
1: I do. I love preaching. I mean, that's certainly something that I feel called to and something that I want to do. You know, it's uh, I'm picking up where you left off in that doctorate program, James, after yeah. you graduated. I uh, I started it, too, because it's a uh, it's about preaching. It's yeah. about proclamation of the word. That's right. And scriptural interpretation, as they say. It. And that's my favorite part of ministry. But, yeah, I mean, there's the there's teaching outside of proclaiming the word there's pastoral care elements of it there's administrative elements of it there's sharing the sacrament there's yeah, yeah. service to others um, all kinds of different ways you can come at ministry um, but I'm interested in kind of y'all's take on preaching and, and I come with a lot of questions you know about yeah. what do other people notice in a sermon because once you do it you start looking at it from the from that standpoint. You almost right. forget what it's like just to be a church member hearing a sermon every yeah. week because you're used to producing the craft yourself. So I'm interested in in what makes a good sermon to you.
0: That's a great question. I, I don't. We don't really allow the guests to ask us questions, Jeff. So <laughs> yeah, um, I'm sorry. This is out of format. We're right going to go ahead and ignore that. But uh, it was a great question. I thought. Nick, what do you think? When, what, what makes a what makes a good sermon? Well,
2: you know, I I feel
0: unqualified to critique a sermon. We, hmm. okay. I mean, that's interesting too. Yeah, that is. But don't don't think about it like that. Think about it like uh, what kind of sermons do you enjoy? What kind of you know when you've heard a sermon that has spoke to you or that you've taken something from? Uh, you know, what has it been? What what has it been about those sermons that that really stuck out, to you? or was it something that you didn't even notice? That's possible too. I
2: I like I like an inspirational message.
0: Okay. I As like opposed the, to
1: a a boring message. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. No. A, no. Those are key words right there. Inspirational. I, um, I mean,
1: what makes something inspirational?
2: I think it, uh, you know a, a a message that is uplifting. That is, uh, I kind of like those that highlight the awesome God we serve and Mm -hmm. that we're in this relationship with God. Mm -hmm. um, Versus a message that may focus more on self-improvement.
1: Okay. I see what you're saying there. You Um, see like, all right, that's not where I I thought you were going. I thought you were going inspiration over information, but you were going kind of adoration of God over yeah. focusing on ourselves,
2: right? Um,
1: what about you, James?
0: Um, well, I, I kind of have the same problem you do, Jeff. I, sure. You know, sure. I, every time I hear a sermon, I'm I'm thinking about I'm thinking about how everybody around me is taking it rather than <laughs> how I should be listening, right? Uh, so it's it's difficult for me to. Um, to just allow something to speak which is that's problematic. I mean that's a big issue you should be able to do that. So I have to be very intentional about that. But when I was a kid I used to love the the three-point sermons where every point begins with the same letter oh, and you goodness. know it's you can deliberation re- you can remember those right? That so there's a, there's, a, there's something to that. But as I as I got older and and started to learn the craft myself I guess I am very much a fan of the narrative sermons—the sermons that tell a story mm-hmm. that comes straight from Scripture, mm-hmm. and that when you get to the end of it, the pastor or the preacher is able to pull a call of action from mm-hmm. that story. So that you you hear the story of how Moses uh, learned the name of God in in Exodus chapter three, right? And then he just tells the story, and maybe maybe can can map that story onto something contemporary that we we where we might hear the name of god for the first time or something like that and then gives the congregation a call to action something that we're going to do when we leave the building those are my favorite sermons and when i preach that's kind of what i try to do i don't know how successful i am at that but that's what i try to do um i like that better than i like the you know uh, the three-point alliterated sermon
1: yeah you know it's always a a tension between are people really able to give you that undivided attention yeah. for twenty, give or take uh-huh. whatever yeah. amount of minutes, or thirty minutes. It's like the last time
0: <laughs> no. I was last time I was allowed to preach here. I preached for thirty minutes, which is why it's been a couple of years, you know, since I've been allowed to preach. I'm sure.
2: <laughs> I can remember that. I mean, that felt like it was a requirement that a sermon, in order to be a good
0: sermon, it had to be so long. Yeah, seventeen minutes. That's not true. Seventeen to twenty-two minutes. That's the that's the that's sweet spot. Sweet <laughs> spot.
1: Well, I, I mean, I love what you're talking about that has a lot of literary beauty yeah. to it, right? Where you build this whole thing and at the end you have this reveal and it's, oh, do you see this grain of truth in this story of scripture wrapped in a context? But sometimes you're wondering, okay, if I'm trying to speak to everybody in this congregation, how many people are going to miss the rhetoric that's yeah. going on here? and is it more beneficial to kind of package it in such a way that is more palatable by a greater number of people
0: do you have something you want
2: to- there's lots of dimensions to this this is this is a great topic just for a conversation
0: yeah like just well, that's, that we're could here, just, that's yeah. what we're here to do this is that's a good what i was move. told this is <laughs> this
2: is a good move yeah because they there as i'm thinking more about my answer because you know we don't get sample questions from our guests before they come on the show. No, we don't. So we yeah. have time yeah. we to consider You also don't give this. your guests sample questions. Hey, hey um, The question well, is, will well, you come who on the show? show is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Will you come on the show? That's the question. That's the only question. So I'm thinking in terms of my response about an inspirational sermon, it, it is, I think, an element like of being inspired to do something. Mm-hmm. Like how, how does it make me feel so like fired up that I'm ready to go out and share the gospel with my friends, or I'm ready to commit myself to going through this daily devotional every day. Um, Like there's going to be some, yeah, call to action that goes with it. Yeah. And then at the other end, the sermons that I don't like, and I think preachers sometimes feel they have to preach, like a sermon (laughs) that makes you feel bad.
0: Right. Like you need to feel guilty. Um, Right right well and, and that's the thing like um I, I don't know that there's anything wrong with I, I think every sermon should be convicting it should it should poke us it should if the if the spirit of god is going to speak through it there's going to be some it's going to be something that demands some kind of change in our lives it doesn't it's not helpful for a sermon to end on conviction though without giving us also some kind of way to to rectify that to unless it's move good forward. friday Unless it's Good Friday, that's exactly right. No, that's the <laughs> one time, the one time that it's okay. But sermons should should be convicting, and they should bring the word. I mean, they should bring the word of God. And when we look at when we look at scripture, when the word of God shows up, it's usually a very convicting kind of thing. But they can't end with the conviction. They have to then give you a, a path forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the call to action. I want to know the, the
2: way out, Jay. Yeah.
0: Yeah unless
1: Uh, it's uh if unless it's psalm, uh what's the psalm james psalm 88 psalm 88 yeah it ends with uh, darkness
0: was my only friend (laughs) the end you don't
1: want you don't want your sermon to sound like psalm 88
0: (laughs) no you don't i was uh which is funny because one of the last times i i actually preached was at the um faith and healing service that we do here A couple years ago and uh, that's a that's a that's a that's a a service that is dedicated toward um loss and 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 darkness that we've encountered throughout the year and i picked psalm 88 as my text and i started out dark and i just got darker and darker and darker and you got to about the middle way point and people people's faces are like like it's you know this is this is really dark and then and then I pivoted away, but the the reason why I did that and sat there in that darkness for so long is, it's important to realize that Scripture has those resources for us, right? And and has the resources of this is what it's like to sit in the darkness. God does that. He sits in the darkness with you. You know, um, Bill came to me afterwards and was like, "It looked like you're about to crash the plane," and then right before you hit, <laughs> right before you hit the ground, right before you hit the ground, you pulled it up.
1: But the other question that I had and as I was thinking Well you have a second question. Yeah, yeah, I got I got two I came with two questions. You came to hijack
0: our podcast, man. So good.
1: so what makes a sermon good? But how often is it one sermon, right? A lot of times you think one sermon at a time and, and a question I reflect on is you have to treat it like this sermon could could change somebody's life but you also have to recognize it you never know how the word of god's interacting (laughs) and sometimes it's not just a single sermon that forms somebody oftentimes it is the process of continuing to worship to hear the word and respond to the word um, and interact with it that over the weeks months years of being in the church being in worship, that that you start to be transformed. So, yeah. what are y'all thoughts?
0: So this is like a classic justification versus sanctification <laughs> kind of conversation. <laughs> where I didn't even make that term. Yeah, to does it? Does it? Is it a? Does it happen in a moment or does it happen in a process?
2: Bad as every preacher wants it to be, <laughs> that Sunday they preached that one sermon. It's I, probably not.
0: I do think I do think that a moment uh, God can speak in a moment and change a life uh, through through a single sermon. I do find that the healthier churches have pastors or preaching teams that put a lot of thought into the development of a message, you know, that put a lot of thought into what is what is the message that is going to be our message um, and how are we going to do that uh, together and how, you know, how are we going to preach a, a process like you're talking about, you know, this kind of slow burn rather than a big brush fire, you know, we, we want to slowly burn away um you know and and build a community of people who learn to hear scripture and learn to hear the word uh, that has to be a very intentional kind of move I don't know what do you I've say, definitely
2: Dad? heard pastors that preached um every Sunday exclusively to the lost- mm. mm-hmm. that that their sermon focus every sermon was how do I get people to accept Jesus for the first
0: time see and I think that that's that is not what the purpose of a Sunday sermon is supposed to be I in fact I would find that to be maybe I'm wrong about this, but I find like when you're in the church already, the job is to develop you as a disciple you know I don't spend a lot of my time thinking about evangelism you know I don't spend a lot of my time thinking about how do we get more people in the church I always, my entire focus has been on how do we get the people that are already in the church to be better disciples or more faithful disciples you know how can we how can we assist the process of sanctification rather than go out and try to preach justification? I don't know. What yeah. But Jeff, at what, what
2: point did we, <laughs> at what point did we convince that person that they needed to get, you know? Yeah. That's a great, group. like I mean, what is the balance that's, of, that's a great question. We I mean. all the time only preach to people who are already there versus preaching to people who showed up for the first time and you're trying to get them to come back.
1: And wouldn't it be nice if you knew which weeks were which? Yeah. Like, all right. All right. <laughs> christmas and
2: easter baby
0: <laughs> well jeff and i had a great conversation about uh christmas eve sermons one time this was, jeff i think this was her first year but we were at christmas eve sermon and, and bill was preaching and i looked over at jeff and said we we're in the narthex i think uh and and i was like man this is like the one time a year that you get like the most people in the building shouldn't you like really just bring it bring the heat like the conviction like just bring it bring the gospel of jesus christ Instead, we end up telling some little story about Jesus in a in manger or whatever, which is great. That's a good story, obviously, but um, I don't know. The I just, best story, too. I feel James. like that's when the conviction should come, if you're going to have <laughs> 1,500 people in the building. Really laid on Well, somebody. and
2: we give them the least amount of time on Christmas and Easter. Yeah. yeah. So you've got as many people here as you're ever going to have, and also you can only preach for 12 minutes.
0: So, Jeff, you're somebody who, on a regular basis, prepares a sermon here for Northside and preaches it's here That's true. Northside. So how do you—how do you— Who's about, your target? Like, yeah, do you preach to the loss that might be in our congregation, or do you preach to those who are, have already kind of stepped on the path of discipleship?
1: Uh, you try to you try to target both if you can. Yeah, right. You try to mix it in, uh, have different parts of the sermon that are addressing different people at different stages. Uh, it's tough to cram all of that in, and um, that. 20 minute block and for all of it to be effective. I, I found myself thinking of a conversation I had a friend with a conversation I had with a friend recently, and he was talking about his view of religion and this stuff and evangelism, but he didn't use those words. And he was talking about it being like, you're walking down a hallway and you're looking at all these different doors trying to figure out what door am I supposed to pick with, you know, religion and I talked about how I've gotten to a point right now where instead of sitting in a room that we call Christianity or Methodism or whatever our room on that hallway is, I was like, I've started less trying to call people and say, hey, come and check out this room. It's a great room. You're really going to love it. Walk on in and, and really find something in the room, you know, look around, check out a bookshelf or a lamp or or something that's really fascinating that brings life and hope and yeah something special about that room and just describe it and hope that as people are walking down they hear and they're drawn in because of what's inside there
0: i like that a lot that's a that's a fantastic uh metaphor that's exactly what we should be doing I think that's uh, Jeff. I think that metaphor works really well because I, I guess my my hope would be for the church. If you have somebody who's not a Christian who, for some reason, whatever reason, God has led them into the church and they're there on Sunday morning, I would hope that the reason they would come back. And the reason that they would be led to Christ wouldn't be because the sermon was about how you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, but rather because the people that were there to greet them as they came in the door reflected the light of Christ, and, right, you know, the, you could feel right. the Spirit of Christ move in the worship service, and whatever the sermon mm-hmm. was, it was something that spoke to all humankind as a conviction of the, of the Word of God, um, and I, I, that would be my hope so they would be like when i really felt something there i'm gonna come back i'm gonna learn and then over the course of time they do they do the emmaus road transformation mm-hmm, rather than mm-hmm. trying to create a damascus road experience every sunday leads to a, i think a very thin and, and Im- immature church
1: and maybe maybe i do resonate with the emmaus road story because that's my st- yeah. story and that's the way i'm doing ministry because it's my story right i had another uh, pastor who was great at evangelism talk about it in this way he was uh he said think about inviting folks to your church like you think about restaurant recommendations so Not- like yelp <laughs> and, i wonder what our yelp are reviews we on look yelp? like we need to get on we should yelp. check that out <laughs> i'm sh- sure we could be um great menu um <laughs> a lot of bad jokes available. we could have some fun That's with so this, this one yeah, absolutely <laughs> But instead of just telling somebody, hey, you need to go to this restaurant, recommending, hey, you should go and check out Chick-fil-A because they have the best freaking chicken sandwich you'll ever eat. Or or whatever it is, making a recommendation and telling them what they're going to experience and having that experience shape how they view it.
0: So that kind of gets back to your metaphor, though, right? Where you're picking something in the room and you're saying, look at this and and – this is great and if you're
1: if you're in advent you know and you talk about hope um and somebody is in the middle of the darkness because it's a freaking pandemic or whatever is going on uh, your message of hope should be so compelling for a hurting world that they want to come back and hear more questions that i kind of want to explore as i pursue this doctor is how do you take the word that you experience in a sermon or in a worship service and expand it to be more than just a 20 minute block or a 60 minute block how does how do you empower the congregation to really dig in yeah and Go deeper.
0: You know, one of the things I've actually enjoyed about um, about the online services that we've been kind of forced to do over the past few months is uh, that you can actually engage the sermon to some degree and have a little conversation in the chat box, mm. right? So when the entire service, you can do that. Now, I I, I did that for the first mm. time yesterday, actually. Actually, <laughs> trying to speak because I, I was tempted to before, but I never did because I thought it might be distracting, and I, I think it turns out it probably is not a, not a, maybe not the best way to do it. But just the idea, though, of being able to pose questions to the guy or the woman who's preaching mm-hmm. and, and get some response, maybe not right there and there, but later on in the in the week or later on in the day, get some response to some questions because right now, in the world that we live in, the sermon is really like the only non— uh, it's like the one thing you can't have any response to, right? It's the only form of proclamation or form of—, of human communication that we have now that there's no comment section or there's no one way just a one-way kind of expression
1: and i feel like right now we are at a place in society where one-way communication is so tricky yeah and to have a dialogue is so helpful and those of us up there preaching man it would be so helpful if we had constructive questions yeah comments feedback on on the word that we're proclaiming. Feel free, whoever is listening to Dialogic Disciple. Yeah. Send me your feedback. uh, I
2: mean that is the way that it's done in our tradition. Right. But that's not the way it's done in every tradition necessarily. That's
0: not that's true. That's very true. That's fair. But maybe we should uh maybe we should adopt some some new traditions that. i would
2: love that that'd be amazing because the
0: word of god is dialogic i mean the word of god is a dialogue it's a dialogue between the members of the trinity it's a spoken to us with the with the expectation that we're going to respond and so i think a sermon needs to have it needs to have and maybe you can work on this this is going to be your project maybe but uh, uh
2: do you want to start an amen corner
1: <laughs> so is that what you were talking about when you say yeah. that other places aren't aren't one-sided yeah so <laughs>
2: do a little call and response to, god is to, good
1: to dig into that all the time though the feedback you get from an amen corner is all affirmative sure you know right. and and is that is yeah, that that's the way somebody really about. digs in no because
0: yeah, you have the guy man you have the guy who's <laughs> saying amen it would be
1: great to have more amens don't get me wrong to
0: everything yeah, to everything well i'll tell you what i only give
2: them when you really deserve them <laughs>
0: So there's a, a couple different ways, uh, more than just two, that, that pastors select what uh, passage they're going to preach on. Um, I, a lot of the traditions that are Protestant, kind of um, the bigger denominations like Methodism, Lutheran, uh, Presbyterian, have uh, a lectionary, uh, you know, a series of texts that have been laid out for every church to participate in, usually about four of them, a couple from the Old Testament, a psalm, a couple from the New Testament um when i preach i, I try to t- t- take take those texts and, and preach them put them in conversation with each other um here at Northside, we've had pastors who have been more topical they'll pick a topic or they'll do a sermon series uh something that they find that the congregation needs to hear um, i'm wondering jeff what you think about sermon series or what you think about the lectionary or how do you go about selecting your texts
1: I've been at churches that do it both ways, right? So, two churches ago, I was at uh, a context where we do sermon series, and the sermons would always have an alliteration or a rhyming point. That's
0: what makes them a series.
1: And then the next, (laughs) the next church was all lectionary, and it was more narrative type preaching. And here, it's, uh, you know, you don't have the three points to a sermon, uh, but we do series here. And I think they're both faithful approaches just from different perspectives. Sure, right? Yeah. One, you are trying to analyze or exegete the congregation yeah. and try to figure out where God's at work um, in that space. The other is to come at it from the Bible side of things and say, these are the texts that over three years we want to make sure we cover. We don't want to impose our own thoughts and beliefs and miss huge chunks of scripture. Yeah. So we're just gonna go through it.
0: Go through the whole thing, or uh, go through the things. Yeah.
1: And and I like I like going through the text um, from certain perspective because it, it forces you to do something different, look at new yeah. passages and and see things in a new light. Because I know left to my own devices. I, I kind of go back to the... You got
0: like five passages you really like, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's one of the things I love about the lectionary is that it it forces you to engage with texts that you normally wouldn't, mm-hmm. right? And texts that you normally wouldn't even put together maybe in, into conversation. Uh, and I like that. There's something about that that's, and I also enjoy the idea that I know that there are literally millions of other Christians today who are reading the Mm -hmm. same passage Mm -hmm. of scripture out loud and, and, and hearing Mm -hmm. some kind of homily or, or, or sermon about it,
1: you know, and the flip side is in this world where people are getting so many messages all the time. I mean, we have too much going on around us. If you have. Amen.
0: (laughs) Here's your amen, brother.
1: If you have this, if you don't have something that draws people in, will they remember it? If you just focus on one idea for a whole month, maybe people will be able to remember uh, a single sermon series. Like, oh yeah, we, we did cover the Psalms over the summer. I remember thinking about the Psalms rather than, yeah, I know we talked about another story of Jesus yeah. last week. Right. So if if your function is to have somebody remember
0: mm-hmm. what
1: the topic yeah. of the worship service was about, I think series work really well. If your function is tried to get people to dig deeper into a broader scope of scripture, then I think a lectionary is a faithful approach.
2: Yeah, it feels like it would be tough for sermon series to be effective as we've seen worship attendance among people who say they go to church regularly. That number, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that meant you went to church four Sundays out of four Sundays a month. (laughs) And now that means you go to church maybe two Sundays out of four Sundays a month. Yeah. And so it does feel like... um, putting together a sermon series that relies on information being passed from week to week um, would be a tough thing. I mean, even same thing for a Bible study. Like, somebody's got to commit to being there every week for that that progression to happen. Right.
1: So what you have is a sermon series that doesn't build on itself, but is really just centered around a theme.
0: Jeff, we appreciate you being here today. Do you uh, have anything final you would like to say, Nick? I'm, I'm glad Jeff was here. Yeah. Me We're too. Glad that we pulled you off the bench for a nice <laughs> little interview here. I'll, I'll he's I'll he's my neighbor. Wings.
2: He's my neighbor downstairs, so it's it's oh. cool to get to sit with him. Yeah,
1: yeah. I, I like it. I That's like good. It. Well,
0: Jeff, thank you so much for being here.
1: Goodbye, Dialogic Disciple <laughs> listeners.
0: <laughs> All right, guys, we'll see you next week. Peace.